0: Good morning, City Life Church, and those of you watching online today, we're so thankful that you're watching us in our Journey to the Cross series on this wonderful Easter morning. My name is Chris Pate, and I'm the lead pastor here, in case you're new, and I'm so excited to be able to share the scripture with you. I hope you enjoyed the video called True and Better, talking about how Jesus is the true and better everything in our life from Moses to Daniel to David, all of the different characters we see through scripture. We see that Jesus is the true and better and really ultimately the Messiah. We're going to look at that today on this Easter morning in the book of John. We're continuing this series that we're going through John for 22 weeks. So we're going to start in John chapter 12 verses 20, go all the way down to 36. If you'll read this with me, it says this, Now, among those who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, "This voice has come for your sake not mine." Verse 31. Who is this son of man? Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. There's a lot in these roughly 16 verses here, and I just want to paint the picture really quick. So first of all, we see... From last week, as we're going in order in the book of John, Jesus comes in on this donkey or young cult, and everybody is screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, praising him, throwing palm branches, really declaring him the king. And in their Zionistic kind of way, waiting for him to really bring the kind of peace that only could come through war. They're believing at this time that he is the king, and he's going to overthrow Rome. Now, in the midst of all that hubbub and everybody's excited and everything, he gets this um, an interview, this this uh, news report from Philip and Andrew, that some Greeks or some Gentiles, not Jewish people, but but Gentiles that were probably converting uh, to Judaism and going to the temple and getting ready for this great feast, but they've heard about Jesus as well. Now, prior to this, Jesus has gone to Gentile areas and has ministered here here and there briefly, quickly, and then had to leave quickly because his main goal was the children of Israel, he would say, or those specific sheep. But this is the first time any Gentiles, any outsiders, anybody's outside of Israel and the beliefs of Judaism Really came to Jesus and said, "Hey, we are seeking you out. We want to know more about you. We keep hearing all of these things that are happening. We want to talk with you." And so Philip and Andrew take that to Jesus, and Jesus' first words is so interesting. He doesn't immediately just praise God or "This is awesome." I mean, he goes right into, "Now is my hour." If you've followed along at all in Jesus's life, he would use this term, my hour. In fact, the scripture would use this a lot, the hour. And it's talking about an hour of death, an hour of even judgment coming. And before he would say, my hour is not yet. My time is not yet. And this moment he says, now's the time. Something about the Gentiles now seeking him Let him know and reassuring him that, yes, it's time I'm heading to my death. Now, we know this is about six days before the cross still. And this day, Easter, that we celebrate the resurrection, in our text today, we're going to look how Jesus talks about his death, but also his resurrection and what it's gonna bring. He prophesies what's going to happen to him. He knows where he's headed. And so I really wanna pull out three things for us today out of this scripture when there's a lot we could talk about. The first thing I wanna pull out is the cross brings judgment on the world's systems. The second thing is Jesus's humiliating death allows and draws us to humble ourselves. And then finally, number three, we're gonna talk about sharing in his death means also sharing in his glory. So number one, the cross brings judgment on the world's systems. In verse 31, Jesus, as soon as he heard about these Greeks coming after him, these Gentiles seeking him, he says this, the first thing, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. When he knows he's being sought out, he's, he's going, it's time. This is where we're heading. And what we see is Jesus automatically goes to the place of judgment. Now, when we think of very popular verses today, like John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We, we don't see a, a judgment there yet in that verse. Um, later it talks about it. But why now all of a sudden is Jesus talking about now is the judgment of the world and the ruler of this world will be cast out. The great enemy of this world will be cast out. I think at the time they would think, oh, here we go. We're going to fight Rome. And he's thinking of the Satan. He's thinking of the enemy, the adversary that he's going to cast out. But he immediately goes into, not now it's time for me to love the world, but for me to judge the world. What kind of judgment is he bringing to the world? Well, we know And he is sharing with us the cross is not only the salvation of the world, but the judgment of the world systems. The world systems that says, dog eat dog. The power climb, the ones that are powerful and with all the money climb the ladder to success. That you just gotta work really hard and eventually things will pan out for you. Or if you serve God, then God deserves or will give you all the success and all the good things. It's a driven world that is driven to success and driven to these things. And that's how the world system as a whole works. Might makes right. And Jesus says, I've come to judge that. The very idea of the cross, this thing that is meant to Uh, be a penalty for sin and death. But really beyond what we know Jesus is gonna do was a spectacle to raise someone on a cross and kill them that way was to make them a public spectacle for all to see. This is what happens when you come against our power. This is what happens when you come against Rome and our authority. And Jesus says, I'm flipping it on its head. In fact, excuse me, it's going to be the weak and the humble that will inherit the earth, as he says in Matthew chapter five. He, he comes in, and he says this cross is gonna represent not public humiliation or a spectacle of power, but ultimately is gonna be the thing that brings that power struggle to its knees because when we are weak, we are strong. And I'm gonna use this very act that you wanna use as a power trip as a different kind of power trip, where he says the first will be last and the last will be first. Those who want to serve will be the ones that lead in the kingdom of God as he comes not to be served, but to serve. And this is the judgment he brings on the world to flip it upside down. Now, the second thing we see is that Jesus's humiliating death allows and draws us to humble ourselves. In verses 32 and 33, he says this, and I, Jesus says this, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then John kind of in parenthetical thought here as he's writing this says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was gonna die. I'm so glad John said that because I would not have gathered that from Jesus's thought, especially knowing the end of the story. I would think Jesus is saying this, if you lift me up, I, once I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw people to myself. I would have thought he's thinking about the ascension when he gets lifted back up to heaven or all of a sudden he's flying to heaven. Of course, people are going to look at that and go, oh, bow. Okay. He's, I'm, I'm yours because I'm seeing your power. You're flying. You're going to heaven. You're being lifted up. And yet John says, it's not about his ascension here. This is talking about The cross, literally being lifted and hoisted upon a cross. He says, that's the thing that's going to draw all men to himself. Now, see, the world system, it's the driven that we're drawn to. We see somebody with a lot of success and a lot of drive in their life, and we go, I want to be like him, or I want to be like her, or I want to do that. I want to know how to, in this quarantine, live just such a great life where every hour counts because I'm driven, and although that's not a bad thing, but That is really what drives us, drives us to leadership, drives us to wanna follow somebody. And yet Jesus says, the way I'm gonna draw all men is by the cross, by being lifted up upon this thing. In other words, every person upon hearing who Jesus was, his miraculous gifting, his compassion, his leadership, his stance in the, in the face of death and seeing him willingly going to a cross to be cursed on this cross, seeing how he even acts on this cross where he's forgiving people, where he's crying out to God in prayer, where he says things like, don't cast these sins upon them. They don't know what they're doing, God. Even a Roman soldier looked at Jesus as he died and said, surely this is the son of God. He was drawn to him. And all of the disciples, something about Jesus and not only his power and authority and words and teaching, but his way, the way he dealt with suffering and pain drew people to him. And it's the same weakness on a cross. He says, when I'm lifted up on that cross, that's gonna draw people because there's something about that profound strength in weakness, this act of the cross that's gonna make men and women alike be drawn to this type of leader, this type of humble leader. And it's going to make us want to humble ourselves as well. Now, when he says all men, he doesn't mean everyone is going to be saved. In fact, the scripture is very explicit about that, that you you must repent. But repenting is simply surrendering. It's not a grand action that you do as much as an attitude and a posture, honestly, of just laying your arms Down, and it's watching Jesus lay himself down on that cross that's going to draw us to want to do the same. It's a beautiful picture and a reverse of how we think. In fact, I would think Jesus would want to tell us, You're not a Christian if you're driven to Jesus. You're only a Christian if you're drawn to Jesus. Here's the difference. Some people, maybe you've heard about hell or, or watched a movie and Judgment Day came, or maybe you know, you've talked to your kids about heaven and hell. And, hey, uh, you don't wanna go to hell where mommy and daddy are. And it drove them to fear. That, that drivenness to being afraid of hell or going somewhere without mommy and daddy and not going to this heaven place. Listen, that is not what saves you. It's not how driven you are or trying to drive someone into the presence of God, but how drawn you are by him. He will draw you. And he promises this, only those who are drawn by his spirit first can receive him. Now, number three, the third thing we see in this is that sharing in his death means sharing in his glory. He said this, if you believe and are drawn to me, he said this at the end, God, as he honors me, he's gonna be glorified, but he will also honor your belief. Now, we... we don't talk about this word honor very much. Maybe honor society. My, one of my kids is a national junior honor society. And so it's like we, when we think of honor, we think of this um, idea of just being uplifted and looking good. But in, in this connotation and in Jewish understanding of honoring, when you are being honored, you are being positioned in the same place as those before you. So you think of like the, uh, the Hall of Fame right now, um, Kobe Bryant going to the Basketball Hall of Fame, being inducted into this and, and others, this upcoming thing. They are being honored into this and they are being now associated with all of the other greatest athletes. And so you see their name, and you see now they are honored. They are highly, they are a part of this grand association, which gets them into different areas, different places because of their stature. When Jesus says, This cross, when you believe on it and what I've done, and that I will be raised again, you are also coming into an association that I will honor you. My action now becomes your action. Your sin becomes mine and my righteousness becomes yours in this imputation. As he used this word earlier, a seed must fall to the ground and die. And then it produces great fruit. He's saying, I am the first seed that will fall all the way down and die. And it's going to produce more seed out of it. And that's you and me and those who believe. He says, you will now be honored. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul piggybacks off this idea. And he says this, God made him, this is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear that? What does this mean? It means when I believe on him, he takes on my sin. He dies to my sin and resurrects, giving me now new life, giving me now his righteousness. So now, just like that Hall of Fame example, I am honored with him. Now, he is worshiped. He is God, fully God, fully man. But I am honored with him so my sins don't count anymore. Today, do you understand and know what Jesus has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, that it's not just his thing and something. Yeah, some might say, I, I believe in God. I just, I believe that there's a God out there and he's gonna do all these great things and he loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I don't know about that cross stuff. I don't know what that has to do with me. That's like believing in gravity and knowing the effects of it, but it doesn't really change my life necessarily right now. See, the idea of Easter and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus does change everything. It's not just an idea that you can believe. It's something you now must live through repentance and trusting that his righteousness is now associated and you are honored with him. So you don't have to today walk in guilt and shame. He's taken care of your sins. And you can walk In this comfort and knowledge and knowing you can go directly to God because he looks at you and he sees Jesus when you believe on him and repent and turn to him in all that you do. I think there's no greater way to say this than in one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis. Many of you know I love C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to give you the longest quote I've ever done in church but C.S. Lewis says this so beautifully in chapter four of Mere Christianity, which we'll be studying this fall. And this chapter is called The Perfect Penitent, and it says this, follow along with me. We are told that Christ was killed for us, that his death has washed out our sins, and that by dying, he disabled death itself. That is the formula. That is Christianity. Christianity. That is what has to be believed. Any theories we build up as to how Christ's death did all this are, in my view, quite secondary. Mere plans or diagrams to be left alone if they do not help us, and even if they do help us, not to be confused with the thing itself. All the same, some of these theories are worth looking at. The one theory most people have heard is the one about our being let off because Christ volunteered to bear our punishment instead of us. Now, on the face of it, that is a very silly theory. If God was prepared to let us off, why on earth did he not do so? And what possible point could there be in punishing an innocent person instead? None at all that I can see, if you are thinking of punishment in the police court sense. On the other hand, if you think of a debt, there's plenty of point in a person who has some assets paying it on behalf of someone who has not. Or if you take paying the penalty not in the sense of being punished, but in the more general sense of footing the bill, then of course. It is a matter of common experience that when one person has got himself into a hole, the trouble of getting him out usually falls on a kind of friend. Now, what was the sort of hole man had gotten himself into? He had tried to set up on his own to behave as if he belonged to himself. In other words, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvements, He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of a hole. This process of surrender, this movement full speed astern is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self conceit and self will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means undergoing a kind of death. In fact, it needs a good man to repent. And here's the catch only a bad person needs to repent, only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it and the less you can do it. The only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person and he would not need it. Remember, This repentance, this willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death is not something God demands of you before he will take you back and which he could just let you off if he chose. It is simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, you are really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. Very well then. We must go through with it, but the same badness, which makes us need it, makes us unable to do it. Can we do it if God helps? Well, yes, but what do you mean when we talk of God helping us? We mean God putting into us a bit of himself, so to speak. He lends us a little of his reasoning powers, and that is how we think. He puts a little of his love into us, and that is how we love one another. When you teach a child writing, you hold its hand while it forms the letters. That is, it forms the letters because you are forming them. We love and reason because God loves and reasons and holds our hand while we do it. Now, if we had not fallen, that would all be plain sailing. But unfortunately... We now need God's help in order to do something which God, in his own nature, never does at all. To surrender, to suffer, to submit, to die. Nothing in God's nature corresponds to this process at all. So that the one road for which we now need God's leadership most of all is a road God, in his own nature, has never walked God can share only what he has. This thing in his own nature, he has not. But supposing God became a man, suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated into God's nature in one person, then that person could help us. He could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was man. And he could do it perfectly because he was God. You and I can go through this process only if God does it in us. But God can do it only if he becomes a man. Our attempts at this dying will succeed only if we men share in God's dying, just as our thinking can succeed only because it is a drop out of the ocean of his intelligence. But we cannot share God's dying unless God dies, and he cannot die except by being a man. That is the sense in which he pays our debt and suffers for us what he himself need not suffer at all. Brilliant words on why Jesus as fully God and man had to be that seed that died so that now we also die and surrender to ourselves because now God has suffered for us and we can now be honored in him. Here's the deal. Only the cross shows you a God so holy he had to die and so loving he was glad to die. Only the cross and the resurrection shows us that. No other thing, no other philosophy or idea, only God becoming man and suffering and dying for us. This is what we celebrate today we celebrate you no longer have to live under judgment, shame, and guilt, and condemnation because Jesus was judged, was shamed, became guilty although he knew no sin, became sin, covered us, and allowed death to be defeated through his death. No longer are we in our sin and death as we trust in the one who gave his life for us. I hope today you're seeing and experiencing that power, that truth. And you might not know it or sense it, I still feel shame. Well, that's what the cross is. It's a reminder that he took it. And as we gaze upon him, we're drawn to him and it makes us draw nearer and nearer and nearer till our heart believes and we can't do anything but praise God. And now, listen, we don't just fight sin and death. We walk in victory and life through repenting and changing the way we think into knowing we are free because of what Jesus did. His cross, his blood was enough for you and me. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your cross and for your triumph over death and the grave. Lord, thank you for the reminder today, this Easter Sunday, that we do not have to walk in fear anymore, that the veil has been torn, that we can boldly come before your throne as we trust and believe on you, as we lay our arms down, not just say, hey, I'm sorry, forgive me, but literally as a rebel, I lay myself down and say, I surrender to you and what you've done. And you said you will draw us and we will be lifted back up the same way that seed falls and you died and produced much fruit as we die to ourselves and surrender to our way our drivenness and are drawn to you god you will allow us to bear your fruit and your righteousness as you honor and lift us up as well seated in heavenly places with christ jesus as your word says if you're here today and you you don't know jesus you've never walked in this kind of freedom and love, know today he loves you and he has made a way for you to know him, for you to get rid of sin and guilt and death and come into a relationship. Christianity is about relationship, not just rules. If you want to know Him, you can let our people know online. Click the button, raise your hand to receive Jesus. And one of our hosts would love to pray with you. We'd love to send you a one to one book digitally, which is a book explaining what Christianity is. We want to help you in your relationship with God. We want to encourage you to get in journey groups and take some next steps as well as you walk into this new light, as Jesus says. Come into the light. Uh, as he has really shattered darkness on that great day. Father, again, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity that we have each and every day. Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna hand it over to Earl, our campus director, and he is going to give us some next steps on what this looks like for you to get connected with us and know God greater. Thank you.